SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV Radio broadcasts from, the Camaragal people and their elders past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to. From the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from fresh water to salt water. Yira Damarang, hello, I'm your host Luana Grant and welcome to NITV Radio for this Wednesday the 6th of December. Coming up on today's show, NITV Radio chats to Remy Shergill, Strategic Projects Director at the Climate and Health Alliance in a, com- in a conversation exploring Australia's first national health and climate strategy. Also, last week, my pop Stan Grant Sr. was awarded a Lifetime Achievement Award for contribution to reviving Wiradjuri language and culture by the Aboriginal Culture, Heritage and Arts Association. And today we revisit a special interview I did with Letitia Harris, Wiradjuri language teacher at Charles Sturt University. And we share a few stories from our NITV news team. All these stories are more coming to you after the latest news. Australia Day In this bulletin, Minister for Social Services announces a number of investments for the communities of Central Australia. The father of a Noongar man who died in police custody says he is still looking for answers after the first day of the coronial inquest yesterday. And the US to impose travel bans on Israeli settlers involved in attacks in the West Bank. Minister for Social Services Amanda Rishworth has announced a number of investments for the communities of Central Australia. The first of these investments will be a $30 million package aimed at addressing the early indicators of family and domestic violence in partnership with the Central Australia Leadership Group. The federal government has also announced a $7.5 million package targeted at improving internet access for Central Australian residents. Minister Rishworth says the government will receive feedback from the Central Australian Leadership Group on what further support is needed. Uh, These programs will be community-led and the Central Australian Leadership Group will have that connection directly with community uh, and tell us as government what the programs are needed. Because, of course, Central Australia is not a a homogenous group of people. Uh, Every community and town is different. And so we want to make sure that our responses are community-led but they meet the needs of the local community. The father of a Noongar man who died in police custody on November 11 says he is still looking for more answers after the first day of a coronial inquest. Police say Geoffrey Winmar, 28, suffered a medical episode while being arrested in Melbourne's east and was taken to hospital where he later died. The inquest yesterday heard that he lost consciousness while being handcuffed. 
An ambulance was called, then cancelled, before being called a second time. Mr Winmar's father, Geoffrey Anderson, says he has many questions. Uh, we want answers. Um, um, some of the protocols that were broken um, by the police force. Um, there was the call-out ambulance calls, then was cancelled. Um, well, Jeffrey was un- um, unconscious. Uh, this. A lot of those little things that um, maybe could have been prevented and Jeffrey could have been still here today with us. The US has announced it will impose travel bans on Israeli settlers involved in attacks in the West Bank. The US State Department has said it will impose travel bans on settlers implicated in violence against Palestinians in the occupied West Bank after the UN has said it had recorded 314 attacks on Palestinian people and property in the occupied territory. In a separate statement at a fundraising event in Boston, US President Joe Biden has echoed international calls for wider condemnation following accounts heard of sexual violence against women allegedly perpetrated by Hamas militants. The statements come at sensitive moments in the US-Israeli relations amid an intensification of an Israeli ground offensive in southern Gaza, with Hamas Health Ministry announcing the death toll in Gaza has surpassed 16,000 people since the start of the conflict. U.S. State Department spokesman Matthew Miller says a travel ban on settlers, which will not apply to dual U.S. Israeli citizens, will address this escalating violence in the West Bank. The United States will pursue visa restrictions against individuals involved in, in or meaningfully contributing to the undermining of peace, security or stability in the West Bank. This includes acts of violence against persons or property, as well as undue restrictions on civilians' access to essential services and basic necessities. An Australian citizen trapped in Gaza has appealed to the Australian government for help. Mohammed al-Shawa has been living in Gaza City since 2015 and is now 15 minutes away from the Rafa crossing waiting for approval to evacuate. His six children and his wife, eight months pregnant, have been allowed to leave and are now in Cairo. Mr al-Shawa told SBS he does not know why his name is not listed on those who can leave Gaza. When we sleep at night, we are not expecting... Uh, to wake up uh, alive in the morning. So we are, expect- we are facing the death uh, on each minute. I expect uh, the Department of Foreign Affairs uh, to work harder and harder and to keep following uh, up uh, my case. Once I get uh, an information from them that my name is listed, I will go immediately. The Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade have told SBS the Foreign Minister continues to engage with her counterparts to assist Australians abroad. The federal government says a decision to modernise Australia Post, including the end of a requirement for five-day letter deliveries, is essential to the business's viability. The Albanese government will today announce plans to revamp the self-funded and publicly owned company, shifting its priorities to packages after recording a more than $200 million loss in the last financial year. Letters will be delivered to most Australians every second day, but parcels will still be dropped off daily, with half a billion parcels delivered to people in the last year. Communications Minister Michelle Rowland has told the ABC modernisation plans reflect the changing nature of deliveries in Australia. Currently, 
a uh, postie will go past just about every house uh, every day, uh, but Australians are only receiving on average about two letters a week. So this means that we have had an inefficient use and really an under-utilisation of those posties. Federal Treasurer Jim Chalmers says supermarkets will need to prove they are treating their customers fairly as they set up a face-to-face Senate inquiry into price gouging. Mr Chalmers says the inquiry, which was initiated by the Greens, has the full support of the federal government. The supermarkets have got a really important role to play here and we want to make sure that they're doing the right thing by their customers. Uh, We support the parliamentary inquiry. Uh, We're in favour of more transparency. Uh, If the supermarkets uh, have nothing to hide when it comes to their pricing, then they can explain that to the parliament. That's appropriate. It comes as Australia's major supermarket chains are facing accusations of greenwashing, misleading consumers and deceptive conduct regarding the potential harm of Australian salmon. A complaint has been filed by the Environmental Defence Office to the Australian Consumer and Competition Commission. A new study by Suicide Prevention Australia reveals the serious impact financial stress is having on the mental well-being of one key at-risk group. New data gathered by the organisation finds middle-aged workers on middle incomes are far more likely to experience debt distress compared to retirees on similar incomes. The study shows more than half of Australian workers on middle incomes reported elevated distress due to cost of living and personal debt in the December 2023 quarter compared to 42% this time last year. Suicide Prevention Australia CEO Neves Murray says these figures are cause for concern. Every generation has different pinch points. Uh, What we are seeing, however, is that the most productive in our community, that middle-aged group, Um, many of whom will have mortgages, are the ones that are feeling the distress most. We've we've seen an increase threefold in distress levels over the last 12 months in that group specifically. So this is a very clear message that the most productive in our community are in fact those that are feeling the distress the most. Listeners seeking mental health support can contact Lifeline on 13 11 14, Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636 or 13 Yarn on 13 92 76. In football, the Matildas say they are prepared to risk conceding goals in their second clash with Canada today if it means nailing down a focus on increasing possession. The teams will play in Langford in British Columbia today for the second friendly in a week in their final international of 2023 after a 5-0 thrashing by the Canadians last weekend. Australia relied heavily on springing counter-attacks during their Golden Women's World Cup run, but coach Tony Gustavson has said he wants to develop their build-up play ahead of February Olympic qualifiers against Uzbekistan. Gustavson says he does not want the team to become predictable in its attack. The Bureau of Meteorology has issued a heatwave warning for large parts of the country by the end of the week. The heatwave has already begun in New South Wales, developing in the west, moving towards central and eastern areas. Inland Australia is forecast to experience 40-degree heat for consecutive days. Residents are being urged to plan ahead to beat the heat, including finding a cool place to take shelter and checking in with family, friends and neighbours who may be more vulnerable in the high temperatures. 
And now for a look at today's weather. Broome, cloud clearing 36, Perth, sunny 30, Adelaide, partly cloudy 31, Melbourne, partly cloudy 22, Hobart, partly cloudy 21, Aubrey-Wodonga, sunny 33, Canberra, also sunny and 33, Wollongong, mostly sunny 24, Sydney, sunny 26, Newcastle, mostly sunny 27, Brisbane, cloud clearing 32, Townsville, sunny 33, Cairns, a shower or two, 33. Alice Springs, sunny, 42. Darwin, a shower or two, a possible storm, and 35. And the Torres Strait Islands, mostly sunny, 35. And that is NITV Radio News. on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Welcome back. I'm your host, Lawana Grant, and you're listening to NITV Radio. Still to come on the show, NITV Radio chats to Remy Shergill, Strategic Projects Director at the Climate and Health Alliance, in a conversation exploring Australia's first national health and climate strategy. And we revisit an interview with Letitia Harris, Wiradjuri language teacher at Charles Sturt University, who shares her Wiradjuri language journey and pays tribute to the elders who have inspired her. But first, let's take a look at some of the top stories from NITV News. Some of Australia's leading philanthropic organisations have partnered with the federal government to help improve child wellbeing and address entrenched community disadvantage. It comes along with millions of dollars committed to new initiatives and a new vision for investment over the next decade. Emma Kellaway with this story. Walking towards new opportunities, the Labor government on a mission to improve child wellbeing and address entrenched disadvantage. For too long. There has been entrenched disadvantage in communities like Logan City and in other communities around Australia. We give ourselves the best chance to address that when we work together with philanthropists, with investors and others. A partnership forged at a roundtable talk in the halls of Parliament, leading philanthropic organisations partnering with the Albanese government to lay out a new vision for investment. Participants today signing the Working Together Agreement, a shared pledge towards improving outcomes. We're really excited about this long-term commitment of working with government and with community for better outcomes for our kids, families and communities. Among those commitments, a 10-year plan to deliver lasting intergenerational change for First Nations people facing disproportionate levels of disadvantage. We want to create a situation where we can turn current future projections into places where we're thinking about postcodes in terms of pride and possibilities for all kids, families and communities. We believe you make more progress if you work together. That's what today is all about. A first step towards a more integrated approach with hopes change will follow. Emma Kellaway, NITV News. A festival in Melbourne is celebrating the long-lasting relationship between Muslims and First Nations people. For centuries, the two groups were trading partners, exchanging food and culture. Yusuf Saudi has more. Making history come alive. Abdi Kariya is a Makassan Muslim from Indonesia who uses art to connect with First Nations people. Not only collaboration, but also to 
be as a family because the story keep connected, you know. Uh, also the bloodline connected. So this is uh, the thing for me. It's a beyond arts. The arts is part of the Windhawks exhibition celebrating the history of Makassar and Yongle people, estimated to date back before the colonisation of Australia. The Makassar people visited areas like Arnhem Land in the Northern Territory to trade and harvest produce like sea cucumbers, which was eaten and used as a medicine. It was the start of a long-lasting relationship, which still exists today. The groups sharing language, food, and culture. The way we see nature, also the way we see um, environment, the way we see the relation between uh, between uh, human and the, the the universe, a lot of a lot of things in common. The Salem Fest has been running for eight years and seeks to curb Islamophobia in Australia by spreading awareness about Muslim culture. We've had a lot of love, and people said we didn't know these are contributions by Muslims in Australia. So I think that's what keeps us going, or me and my team, and that's why we. Keep moving forward and doing these things. It's not easy to do this, but yeah. Larry Gurawiwi is a leading Yadaki or didgeridoo player from Arnhem Land and performed alongside Muslim artists at the festival. Yolmo Muslim Pakistan people bring that together, and you know the people in Australia around the world, you know, bring them together and then show them that we have power. In this exhibition, there are centuries of history involving Makassar Muslims and First Nations people on display. It's hoped through events like the Salem Fest, the broader Australian public can understand more about the connection between the cultures. It needs to be learnt more by the broader community. There's lots of people I talk to, and they go,、eh, "I never knew that." Muslims and First Nations people uniting through connections steeped in history. Yusuf Saudi, NITV News. Aboriginal nurse and rights activist Emma Jane Callahan was a trailblazer who spent her life breaking barriers in healthcare. Her story is now set to be immortalised as one of 14 blue plaques to be installed around Sydney, an initiative working to connect community to the hidden history and heritage of New South Wales. Emma Kellaway reports. For Darawal woman Cody Mason, the story of her third great grandmother Emma Jane Callaghan has been passed down for generations. That's her husband and granny with her children. Born in 1884, she grew up in an era when some hospitals refused admission to Aboriginal people. Compelled to help her community, at the age of 17, Emma Callaghan became a nurse and midwife. Yeah, she thought it was very wrong that Aboriginal people weren't allowed to go to the hospital. So she felt like she、um, was someone who was able to, like, give that care. She went on to provide primary health care on Aboriginal reserves in La Perouse, Bellbrook, and Armadale until the age of 75. A lifetime also spent advocating for the rights of Aboriginal people. Like she didn't do it for money, she didn't do it for recognition. She just did it because it was the right thing to do. She wanted to work、um, and help her people. Hearing the tales of her granny's life is what inspired Cody to want to share her story with others. Got the email for the blue plaques nominations, and I just thought I'll just give it a try. Her nomination was approved, and a blue plaque like this one will soon be displayed at the La Perouse Childcare Centre. A nod to the children she helped deliver and the legacy she's left behind. I was over the moon because it's been too long, you know, for 
nobody to recognise what she's done. For Cody, it's a way of keeping her story alive for generations to come. It's really like special to see that other people might see her life and think, wow, that is like she did do some really amazing things. Emma Kellaway, NITV News. Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV Radio. Welcome back. I'm your host, Luana Grant. Next up, a conversation exploring Australia's first national health and climate strategy. In a conversation with NITV Radio's Bertrand Tungandami, Remy Shergill, Strategic Projects Director at the Climate and Health Alliance, said the new strategy seeks to protect the health and well-being of all Australians. Climate and Health Alliance have been advocating for a national plan to protect the health and well-being of Australians for over a decade. Australia has just launched its first national health and climate strategy to coincide with the COP28 summit in Dubai. And to discuss the significance of this development, I'm joined by uh, Remy Shagel, Strategic Projects Director at the Climate and Health Alliance. Remy, welcome to NITV Radio. Thanks for having me. It is said that uh, this, the, the, the strategy that has just been launched signals a shift to Australia's approach to climate change both on a national level and also internationally. Now, can you tell us about the significance of uh, this uh, development? Absolutely. Well, climate change is affecting the health of Australians right now. Um, We're seeing it in our hospitals and healthcare facilities, and we've known this for a long time. But for a decade or so, the Climate and Health Alliance was calling for a national health and climate strategy and there was no action taken on it at the Commonwealth level. Um, Since the new government has gotten in, they've been much more interested in taking action on the health impacts of climate change, Um, and it's fantastic to see this strategy out in in the world. We think it's important that the Australian government chose to launch it at COP28 on the global stage because... That means that they're using this policy to show their leadership in this space. And any action plan or strategy like this one comes uh, with uh, some um, strings attached. So there's funding uh, that needs to be allocated. Uh, is this uh, going to be appropriately funded or the funding is not yet known? We'll find out later. It's a great question. And that is our next point of action. So we have a really quite an ambitious strategy, but there is not a strong implementation plan or funding attached. And so we plan to work with the government to make sure that funding is allotted in the next budget. For the strategy to protect health, it must be fully funded and we expect the Commonwealth government to do so. Yeah. And uh, how significant is it for, well, it's uh, significant for all Australians, but how significant is it for First Nations people? Because I remember during the last uh, uh, COP summit, uh, it coincided with uh, a court case against the Australian government, uh, a court brought uh, brought about by uh, 
Torres Strait Islanders about the impact of climate change on uh, their lives and uh, the lack of action from the Australian government. Can you tell us about the significance of this development now for First Nations people and probably for those that are most affected uh, in uh, the low-lying uh, islands in the Torres Straits? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've seen legal action be led by First Nations people right across Australia, including the Torres Strait Eight. I think what's so exciting about this strategy is that they have a commitment to First Nations leadership. They acknowledge that First Nations knowledge um, must be central to decision-making on climate change and health. First Nations people have demonstrated their ability to adapt to a climate, uh, to a change climate for, you know, since time immemorial on this continent. And uh, it's exciting that the, the government is acknowledging that they have, you know, traditional ecological and scientific knowledge that they can, um, you know, they can help us all with um, and they can lead the way in uh, adapting to climate change. Uh, we hope that the strategy follows through on this commitment. The strategy does identify that there's a governance gap uh, at, at regarding the health of First Nations people and climate change. And the Lewitcher Institute is leading work right now on this space to work out what is the best model to support First Nations self-determination when it comes to climate and health policy. We'll definitely speak to the Lowija Institute and find out more about the impact uh, of uh, this uh, strategy and uh what it, will, it means for First Nations communities. But before I let you go, anything you'd like to add to the conversation? Absolutely. Well, climate change is the biggest health threat of the 21st century, but climate action is actually our biggest health opportunity. Every dollar we spend on climate change mitigation, uh, the health benefits, the uh, two to one. So... We really hope that the Australian government uses this strategy to uh, promote, you know, better health and well-being for all Australians. Remy Shagel, Strategic Projects Director at the Climate and Health Alliance. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio about the significance of uh, the just-launched Australian National Health and Climate uh, Strategy. Thank you so much. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Welcome back. You're with NITV Radio. Last week, my pop Stan Grant Sr. was awarded a Lifetime Achievement Award for his contribution to reviving Wiradjuri language and culture by the Aboriginal Culture, Heritage and Arts Association. So today, I wanted to replay a special interview I did with proud Wiradjuri woman and dear friend, Letitia Harris, who shares her Wiradjuri language journey and pays tribute to the elders who have inspired her. Wiradjuri language has been passed down to me by my pop, Stan Grant Sr. He has spent a lifetime dedicated to revitalising the Wiradjuri language for our people. Together with linguist the late John Rudder, he wrote the first Wiradjuri language dictionary and other teaching resources. He has travelled all across Wiradjuri Nurembung, Wiradjuri country, to teach language at schools, TAFEs, juvenile detention centres, jails and wherever he could to teach language. Pop's life's wish is to see his language spoken again, and the legacy that he is passing down is one I feel honoured to continue, not just as a Wiradjuri person, but as his oldest grandchild. 
the Wiradjuri Language, Culture and Heritage course was set up at the Charles Sturt University, and over the years, the course has continued to flourish and grow in enrolments year on year. Last year, along with my auntie and cousins, I graduated from the course with my pop there to witness our achievements. And also last year, my pop received the NAIDOC Lifetime Achievement Award at the 2022 NAIDOC Awards for his lifetime of work revitalising the Wiradjuri language. I was lucky enough to sit down and interview Letitia Harris, who is the language teacher at Charles Sturt University for the Wiradjuri Language, Culture and Heritage course. She speaks to us about her language journey and pathway to teaching language, the future of Wiradjuri language, and the elders that have inspired her and had an impact on her life. Firstly, can you please introduce yourself in Wiradjuri and give the listeners a quick introduction as to what you said and the background of introducing yourself in language? Ngati Bapin Bala Ray Harris, Ngati Batin Bala Viola Ingram, married name Harris, Bala Tu Kuyal Darangilang. So I just said today, my name is Letitia Harris. My family are Ingrams and Kemps. My father is Ray Harris, my grandmother is Viola Ingram, and I belong to Kuyal Creek, that is my people and my identity. And when did you first start your Wiradjuri language journey? This is pretty deadly. So firstly, I was an Aboriginal education assistant at St. Clair's College in Canberra and your grandfather was working for ACT Education and I was working for Catholic Ed. Um, Arnie Judy Harris, I said, I want, I want Uncle Stan Grant to come in and speak to students. You know, my dad and my uncle knew Uncle Stan really well and Honey, Judy Harris, she says to me, just ask him. And Uncle Stan said, I work for public education and you work for Catholic education. And he went to the powers that be there, uh, the director at the time, and he said, now I've got this girl, she wants me to come into the school. And I was like 18 or 19, so young. They said to him, Stan, you can do whatever you want. That's fine, you can do it. And he went, great. Oh, anyway, blew my mind. He came into the school and I was so wrapped, it was so deadly. And when he came into the class, and I went real proud, I'm going to introduce Uncle Stan Grant. And like, yeah, and he can speak language, it's so solid. Anyway, he told me to sit down, <laughs> sit down over there, Bob. Um, and then he got up and he introduced himself in fluent Radri, and I felt electricity in my body. And it was like my body knew it. My everything knew it. It was just like every hair on my body stood up and it just lifted me. Like I'd never felt anything like that before hearing my language. And that was the first time I've ever heard it fluent. Then six years later, I'm in Sydney and I found Uncle Christopher Kirkbright, Annie Cheryl Riley and Uncle Borlinger Gummel, which is George Fisher. Um, and Annie Cheryl Riley and Uncle Borlinger, they're past now. And they were running a Wiradjuri language class at Alexandra Community Centre. And I found them. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, language, oh my gosh. I was so thirsty for it. I went there and they did um, once a week night classes. And then Uncle Stan, we only had four classes. Uncle Stan turns up. And, and this is a hilarious story. I love this bit. He comes to class and he sees me. And he asked me this question. Yama Bapinumarang, is your dad... Good. Now, I only heard that first yama, so I knew there was a yes-no response. 
and dad, I had bumping. So I just went, Noah. So I look real deadly, even though I didn't know exactly what he was saying. And for the listeners, Noah means yes in Marathi. (laughs) And so I look real deadly. (laughs) That experience of like, he was really proud of me that I'd sort of come and actually chase the language. Now, I then lived with Auntie Cheryl O'Reilly and worked with Uncle Uncle Gidge and Uncle Boralinga on language resources and there was classes in school and we'd travel back on country and teach on weekends and stuff like that and I was really blessed. I was their shadow until they made me start teaching but you know Uncle Stan said he saw something in me, Uncle Gidge said he saw something in me, Annie Cheryl said she saw something in me and, and Uncle Borlinger saw something in me but they all instructed me to teach and then I moved back to Kara. In all of this I'd had my son Yingamara and got a job at the school. Before long they found out that I could speak language. I met Harry Lambsett, he was like teach me language. Uncle are still obviously always talking to your pop, uh, ringing him up and saying oh they want me to <laughs> do some language at this school and he said yeah well you know make sure the mob there are happy with it and go for it and um, started getting rhythm in some teaching a few little year seven loat classes and stuff like that and he says the Tumut elders ring Uncle Stan and ask him if he would come and teach TAFE class for them a cert one two or three Uncle Stan rings me says I want you to do it Bob so I meet with the elders I bring Harry with me so Harry Lamford along and we start teaching in Tumut to the elders after they approved us so we started teaching TAFE there in Tumut. And also within that time, the grad cert. So two years before the graduate certificate had started, Uncle Stan is ringing me saying, you have to do this course. <laughs> I'm like, I will, Uncle, I will. So Harry and I, we come and we do the course, you know. Now Uncle Stan is teaching the class and he's talking to the students and he's getting them to say, Dakangindo. And he was just getting them to respond like, Dakangindo means where are you? Dakangindo. And they are responding as if they're somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So they're saying, Karada, you know, I'm at Kara. I say, Baladungenna, Yamandumogent. It says, I'm here, are you blind? <laughs> Uncle Stan cracked up. But did the graduate certificate, my last subject, we had the new cohort of students coming in. And Uncle Stan said, You're going to be teaching in the mornings. And we went to walk out to go to our class. And he said, Where are you going? And he laughed and he said, no, you're teaching now. And he got us to keep teaching for the rest of that week. And from that, he continues and continues now to instruct what teaching uh, we do and how we do it. And that's my language journey and I, and I teach here, instructed by your pop. And what does it mean to you to be continuing such a legacy for Wiradjuri people and playing such a vital role in language continuation and making sure that it is being passed down? It means everything to me. I think all of us have this dream, especially your grandfather, Uncle Christopher Kirkbrook, Anishira Riley and Uncle Borlinger had the dream of our people speaking fluent language, having fluent language back. It's so much bigger than us. It is our everything. It describes our culture, our spirit, our connection, our relation to everything else. It is our identity. To have that responsibility of passing it on, whoa, it's intense, but it is so, so special. And I feel so honoured and so privileged. And there's so much that I've been blessed by having my language. I don't think that I would have been able to 
have coped with a lot of things had I not had my language and culture to lift me. And I feel like passing that on helps my people cope and heal. And this year's NAIDOC theme is celebrating our elders. And last year, POP received the NAIDOC Lifetime Achievement Award at the 2022 uh, NAIDOC Awards. And it was such an honour, not just for POP, but for our whole family and also the Charleston University family that he works alongside, that makes sure his vision is being kept alive. What was that moment like for you when you saw him receive such special recognition for his lifetime of language revitalisation work? He is phenomenal. He is brilliant and he has worked so hard. And honestly, we look at what we have today. We've got it because of him. It's because of the elders that directed him as well. It's because of all that hard work. We have that. We have this dictionary that we can hold. We've got the tactile resources that we can actually hold on to and actually hear him speak. We can move forward with reclamation and we can become a community of speakers because of the work that he's done. I'm grateful that they recognised him and see all the hard work that he's done. And the theme for NAIDOC this year is all about celebrating our elders. What elders inspire you and have made an impact on your life? The people in my language world, they're my family. You know, Uncle Stan, phenomenal. The elders that lifted me and who I stand on their shoulders our Uncle Stan Grant, Uncle Christopher Kirkbride, Aunty Cheryl Riley, Uncle Burling Agumo. They're the people, that little wonderbine naughty girl <laughs> under their wing and proper taught me and guided me and actually nurtured me so that I could be strong. I'm nothing without all of them. I couldn't stand without them. But I've also got other elders that are constantly lifting me as well. They're just not in the language But we're talking about your pop, and I'd just like to say I couldn't have done what I am doing now without him nurturing me, lifting me, teaching me in his gentle, most loving and caring way. And if I'm paying respects to my elders and if this is for our elders, then I pay that to him, not the Bapengoel, my other dad. And what is your vision for the future of Wiradjuri language? that we are fluent, that we have a community of speakers, that we move out of revitalisation with a few fluent speakers blooded throughout our community and we move into a community of speakers. That community of speakers have kids that are then first language speaking Wiradjuri. That's my vision. Mandongo Tish, thank you so much for your time and your beautiful words. It's been an honour to speak with you today. Thank you so much for sharing your journey, your vision and everything that you love about Radri language and culture. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV Radio. And that's all we have time for on today's program. You can listen back to the show anytime online or catch any of our stories on our website at sbs.com.au. NITV Radio will be back on Friday with more stories from right across the country. I'm your host, Luana Grant. Mandangor, thanks so much for listening and have a great day. 